there is um, nothing wrong if you pray behind someone and you don't hear them reciting loudly or they cite it audibly. Just take it that inshallah they have recited it. But if someone comes up and says, I don't recite it at all, then I would say I don't want to pray behind you because, you know, he's left out something. Because the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, La salata liman lam yaqra. No, he said that, Kullu amalin la yudhkaru fiya bismillahir rahmanir rahim fa huwa abtar. Every single act of worship, which is not commenced with a basmala, it remains cut off, incomplete, abtar. And uh, the Prophet wasallam used to recite it. How do we know what is the basis for those who do not recite it? They base it on the Prophet as hadith when he said that, Qusimati salatu ila qismain. The salah has been divided into two parts. And by salah here, the Prophet was referring to Surah Al-Fatiha. And he said, فَإِذَا قَالَ الْعَبْدُ الْحَمْدُ لِلَّهِ رَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ When a person who is praying, he says, الْحَمْدُ لِلَّهِ رَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ Allah says, حَمَدَنِ عَبْدِ And then, الرَّحْمَنُ الرَّحِيمُ مَجَدَنِ عَبْدِ The point here is, when the Prophet was now explaining this salah, which is Al-Fatiha, he did not start with by saying when the person says Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim, rather he started with Alham when he says Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alamin, which means the Al Fatiha, which is the dua itself, begins with Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alamin. But that being said, one has to first of all say Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. That is by majority of the scholars, as they do so, agree whenever you are reading at the beginning of any part of the Quran. So Jazakallah Khairan. Someone says, Assalamu alaikum, my question is, if I order a Quran from overseas, is it okay because they handle the packaging roughly on the plane? So my understanding here is you're worried of ordering a Quran from abroad because you're worried that in the process of delivering it, some of these delivery companies might mishandle it. I would say do not worry about it, inshallah. Those who package the Quran will take into consideration of the fact that this is going to be handled variably across, you know, throughout the process to the last person. So the way they, they, they package it will take into consideration the rough handling that you might have to go through until it reaches your, uh, your doorstep. May Allah make it easy for you. Someone say, how is Sheikh? Hope you are in the best state of health. Allahumma amin ya Rabbi. My question is, what is the difference between mu'akkada and ghayri mu'akkada in salah? We have two sunnats and also four sunnats. Which one is mu'akkada and which one is ghayri mu'akkada? Izakallahu khayran. Now, um, first of all, these words, the sunnah mu'akkada, it means those aspects of uh, the worship, especially relating to salah, which are very much emphasized, and those which are least emphasized, either emphasized or least emphasized. Now, these might relate to actual salah itself, or sometimes maybe other aspects of the salahs I will be elaborating. Now, you talked about the four akas and some of the two akas. Now, some of the four highly emphasized two akas, I've said the two akas are, 
the Torah curse the moment you enter the masjid, what we call Tahiyatul Masjid, this is Sunnah Mu'akkad, highly emphasized. It is so much emphasized that even the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, one day was delivering a khutbah. And as you know, when you are delivering a khutbah, you don't need to be interrupted or disrupted so you can venture out of the speech and then come back. But he had to stop, I was, to pause. I would say he had to pause. Remember, he was speaking in Arabic. But how do you know how to pause? Because he had to address a specific need at the moment. When one of the companions entered the masjid and he sat down, he had to tell him, stand up and salli rakatain before you can settle down to listen to the khutbah. So if he was talking about something else in the khutbah, he had to stop that to come back and remind this of a very, very highly emphasized act of worship, which is still below, which is still below the level of fard or wajib, but is very highly emphasized. So Sunnah Mu'akkada, as far as the majority of the scholars are concerned, is that which is very much emphasized. And this includes, for example, Salatul Eid and Eid al-Fitr and Eid al-Adha, but also Witr and also all the 12 rakahs that are highly emphasized, which the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi These are the two rakahs before Fajr, four rakahs before, before Dhuhr, two rakahs after Dhuhr, those are now eight, two rakahs after Maghrib, those are ten, and two rakahs after Isha. These are Sunnah Mu'akkada. And also Salatul Witr, and Qiyamullah, these are highly emphasized. That is as far as the three majority of the scholars are concerned. That is including uh, the Maliki, the Shafi'i, and the Hanbali. When it comes to Madhabu Imam Abu Hanifa, Madhabu al-Hanafiya, meaning the followers of Imam and the students of Imam Abu Hanifa, some of them may have disagreed with him, but generally speaking, they do not see the difference, a great number of them, do not see the difference between wajib and fard. They see both of them are mandatory, but the fard is that which has been categorically established either by the ayah of the Quran and the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. For example, the five daily prayers. But the sunnah, what they call the wajib, are those things which might not be emphasized and categorically stated in the Quran, but we see the Prophet emphasizing them through his actions. And as a result, Salatul Eid, because he's so much emphasized that even those who are in a position of praying, they're encouraged to come and attend. So they see it as wajib, even if it is not fard, because it's not established by the text of the hadith or by the text of the Quran or the text of the hadith that you must. You must, but he encouraged that everyone should come and attend, even if they are not praying. Why do we say it is not? Because we know women may not be in a position to pray, but they are highly encouraged to come and attend. So that is the difference. Equally so, equally so, we find that although the salah has got what we call the arkan, which are wajib, but there are other aspects of the salah that are considered only wajib. For example, saying subhana rabbi al-ala in ruku, in sujood, subhana rabbi al-azim in ruku, these are wajibat, although they might not be categorical, that if you left them out by accident, your salah will not be invalid. Okay? And we find that al-fatiha is wajib, is fard as far as the prayer is concerned. If it is left out, it doesn't matter how many sajidats you can do, you have to come back and do it. The ruku is wajib. If you don't leave it out, your salah will not count until you have done it, and then you make up for uh, that mistake 
later on. Um, there is a very good, interesting, but a long question here. The brother says, Assalamu alaikum, please. Is the networking business halal, like recruiting people to join your team uh, and then recruiting others um, allowed in Islam? So it's networking business. Um, uh, now, matters of business they require a little bit of expertise as well, but also to understand the nature of the networking. I, I don't think all of them operate in the same way. Some of them are basically just for the purpose of inviting as many people to come and take advantage of, um, you know, of, of the business opportunity without costing them anything. If you encourage people to come and probably in the process, they give you, you know, uh, for example, a reward for bringing as many people who make their informed decision, there is nothing wrong at all with that. Because by the end of the day, it's just like encouraging people to do businesses, and there is not as long as people make the informed decision, there is nothing wrong at all with that. Or if I am inviting people to come and join my company, and there will be, for example, a profit to be shared accordingly because of the you know the uh, the economies of a scale and the economies of you know uh, having big capital, that is understandable. However, one has got to be very careful if. Uh, in the process of networking, you are asking them to make a contribution as a condition for joining and then without guarantees that they are going to get something returned or with a high possibility that they may lose their money, that now borders what we call al-gharar, ambiguity and also um, uncertainty, but also some form of misguidance. And anything that has got an element of uncertainty in terms of the decision you are making, if the decision is based on uncertainty or ambiguity or exploitation or condition that you give money that you do know is going to come back and it's not considered even part of the capital, then here the Prophet according to Hadith ibn Abbas, he said, Nahan Nabiyu sallallahu alayhi wa sallam bay'u al-gharari. Now, as I am saying this, I'm just talking about something that is in abstract because I'm not referring to any company because I do not know how companies do operate. It's a question of you making sure you make an informed decision. Take the information that has been introduced to you by that company to a knowledgeable person who can explain to you the element of ambiguity and certainty if you feel that it resonates with the guidance of Islam, then that is okay. It could be his advertising for his business, for people to come and, and join it, and there is nothing wrong with partnership in business as long as it's based on sound condition where there is no ambiguity, exploitation, uncertainty, then that is, that is okay. But not all of them operate in the same manner. As a result, I am not referring to a specific company. I'm talking about general uh, guidance on the matter of networking, which we know sometimes may involve those kind of things. And I think, I don't know if that, my dear brother Mamu, that um, uh, suffices as an answer. Uh, you went on to say, I joined a business which required me to buy product for my own use before joining the business. It is around 1,100 pounds to 8,000, depending on which level you want to start on. It is commission-based business like whoever makes the sale gets pay and the rest of the commission goes to your uh, appliance until all the commissions are gone. Now, this, this there is um, um, 
there are quite a lot of issues that one needs to be very careful about, about here. Um, if the whole idea uh, is um, someone taking advantage of people to maximize his without contributing uh, any capital, there is something here that Islam would put to question. Islam would put to question any business where you bring people, uh, if I bring 10 people, I automatically benefit. I'm getting that money for exchanging nothing. And Islam here has got something really questionable about that kind of position. Uh, the person who joins the company will be making a profit, but what I'm doing, I'm just taking advantage of that. Whichever money you bring in, I take a portion of that. There is something uh, that is no, there is uncertainty here whether my income is coming as a result of selling something and what is that I've sold. So if there is money that is exchanging without anything, it already triggers an element of an element of ambiguity about the legality of the income or the return and that I'm getting from that. And that's where I would say be very, very careful with that. Seek more advice. If possible, go to a local sheikh. There are so many alhamdulillah, many sheikhs can explain to you a bit more about that. But I, the way I look at it, there are questions that Islam would put into place, especially with you who gain from new members coming, what is it that you are exchanging for that proceed that is coming to you? So if that is the case, I would advise you go and seek more clarification on that. Otherwise, if it's a question of putting money together, there is nothing wrong. At, uh, putting money together as joint partnership, bearing the same liabilities or proportional liabilities, depending on the capital you have put in, and also proportional profits from the return on investment, then there is nothing wrong at all. And you can see from that, you know, you can clearly reciprocate the return to the level of investment and the quantity of investment. Otherwise, here there is a return coming for nothing that is being put in. That's where the question uh, arises. Assalamu alaikum. I want to know how can I motivate someone to go to work? by telling the benefits of work and the disadvantage of living a parasitical life. Um, but I'm not going to say people do not go to work because they want to live a life of parasite. There are always sorts of, you know, there are a range of situations that vary from one person to another. Either someone has tried to work in so many places and has been a victim of bullying, harassment, which could have far longer implications on the people, or it could be people's circumstances vary, or is not comfortable with the kind of work, it contradicts his values, and I don't know what values that could be, or the environment might not be health-wise, you, know, condu you know, conducive for him to work. I am not going to paint just one simple answer for that, but your question is how can you motivate them I think the whole the answer begins with understand what is it that demotivates them from work. You got to remember to the Prophet Allah said that Indeed, an upper hand that always gives uh, is better than the lower hand, which is always you know takes. Meaning, living a life of paradise. If you choose to be to live as a dependent on the society or an individual, then Islam looks at you. Uh, does not really recommend and does not celebrate that position. The Prophet Sallallahu said the giver is, is much more better in reward, in respect and praiseworthy than the one who is always asking. And also we know that the Prophet Sallallahu says that he who lives on begging will come on the day of judgment 
with his face bearing the marks of that evil kind of you know, chosen uh, position in life. So we know it, inshallah, to be uh, productive in the society. And of course, you know, this is where we're setting a good example. Islam is about self-reliance unless, unless the people are entitled to be, uh, they happen to be part of the people you have to take care of, then that is, that is altogether different. This could be, for example, elderly people, your children, so you've got to be very, mashallah, appreciative of the responsibility Allah has put on you to look after them. And with this, inshallah, we come to the end of today's program. I really thank you so much for your beautiful questions. Thank you so much. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا أَطِيعُوا اللَّهَ وَأَطِيعُوا الرَّسُولَ وَأُولِي الْأَمْرِ مِنْكُمْ فَإِنْ تَنَازَعْتُمْ فِي شَيْءٍ فَرُدُّوهُ إِلَى اللَّهِ وَالرَّسُولِ إِنْ كُنْتُمْ تُؤْمِنُونَ بِاللَّهِ وَالْيَوْمِ الْآخِرِ